Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rokraut. And today we are back to discuss some 2022 movies. We will be discussing Robert Eggers, his latest film, The Northman, and also sharing some 2022 releases that maybe came out when we were discussing Oscar movies for this year that we didn't get a chance to talk about and that we would recommend. Yeah, I think so far this year, we've had a pretty strong start to movies in general, which I don't think I say often, like, you know, you have that early year lull, especially when the Oscars are happening, you -hmm. start to get trailers for these like, god awful movies. And (laughs) (laughs) we really haven't had that. There have been some films with huge box office successes that I really don't care for. But you know, it's gonna happen. And I think there's a lot to look forward to come this summer. We got a lot of news out of CinemaCon, or at least teases from certain movies that we'll definitely be covering in the future. So I'm looking past some of those less than exciting films, maybe for you or Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And I am excited. I I like The Northman, and I'm excited to share some other recent recs that I enjoyed. Yeah, CinemaCon is always exciting because you get little tidbits of information, I think, about movies that are coming. We, of course, had the, like, Olivia Wilde's Jason Sudeikis thing that happened that that's really not the theme of our podcast even though her name is very close to ours Um, (laughs) (laughs) so we can maybe save that discussion for another time neither of us are Mm -hmm. lawyers but I will say coming out of CinemaCon I got very excited for Top Gun Maverick which I think everyone knows I'm like eagerly awaiting and I think another piece of exciting news that I saw was that the attendees of CinemaCon got a sneak peek of Tar, the Todd Field film with Kate Blanchett. And she's just like oh, wow. smoking a cigarette in the opening, which sounds great. Like I, I'm here for that. The other piece of news out of CinemaCon that was funny was Avatar 2 does exist. Did they see anything from it? Yeah. They saw like <gasps> footage from oh, it. Wow. It's real. Yeah. Exciting. It's happening. It's real apparently. So... <laughs> Oh, yeah, because they talked about all the ways that it was filmed and how it's like a record number for things that'll be shown in, I guess. (laughs) I am excited. All Um, right. That makes one of us. Um. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess the gaga of it all for Top Gun Maverick as well. I'm like, okay, fine. You need to see it. Like the visual Mm -hmm. effects. It's it's also happening. (laughs) She is coming back for another campaign. I'm hoping that she's at Cannes. Her yearly campaigns. <laughs> like, best original song, number two. Mm-hmm. So let's get into The Northman. The description here, Prince Amleth is on the verge of becoming a man when his father is brutally murdered by his uncle, who kidnaps the boy's mother. Two decades later, Amleth is now a Viking who raids Slavic villages. He soon meets a witch who reminds him of his vow, save his mother, kill his uncle, Avenge His Father. This stars Alexander Skarsgård, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicole Kidman, Willem Dafoe, Ethan Hawke, and Bjork. It's directed by Robert Eggers. This is his third movie after The Witch and The Lighthouse, which was nominated a few years ago. We both liked this. Tell me more about your feelings and why you liked it. Yeah, so I knew that I liked it 
when I got home from the movie and I spent about an hour to an hour and a half reading all about dogs in Norse mythology. I was like, okay, this worked on me. Like I learned a lot watching the movie, but I also thought like I need to spend even more time in this world because he clearly, Robert Eggers, cared so much about this project, making it historically accurate. And I felt that it was sort of impossible not to get swept up in this experience. And of course, it's Hamlet. Amleth Mm -hmm. is very close to (laughs) Hamlet, if you think about the name. But Hamlet actually wasn't first. This story was before Hamlet. And it goes to show, I talk about Shakespeare all the time. We talked about this with the tragedy of Macbeth, too. But this is a universal story. And like many Shakespearean works, it has this global relevance. And it's a story that's been told across cultures and across centuries. And I felt that Robert Eggers really understood the weight of that. And I really love how he blends fantasy and historical realism here. The world building was just so strong. And I felt like I love how everything was so matter of fact and straightforward, but it had a lot of detail to it. So it was really easy to follow. You knew what you were getting, but it also did have the ability, I think, to shock and surprise you and keep you really engaged throughout its runtime. And I actually thought a lot about what we talked about on our episode on The Exorcist, which is the reason why I think that movie is so scary and why it's so believable is because it takes itself 100% seriously. And this movie does that. Because of that, it, I think it's impossible not to be fully enamored with every single shot and frame in the film. So I really loved it. I think that it is Robert Eggers' second best. I still prefer The Witch, but I like it far more than The Lighthouse, which I didn't care for very much. But I think it also you need some time. I needed some time away from it a little bit to think about whether or not I really loved it or just admire it. And I think now I've definitely gotten to the point where I feel like this is a great movie and definitely one of my favorites of the year so far. I totally agree. From the trailer, from the story, you know, this is an epic tale. And in those opening images and throughout the movie, you are given epic, majestic landscape one after another. And it is just so beautiful. And you have one of those opening shots over the water into the village. And you know, like that is just the perfect establishing shot. I took notes. I wrote sound, visual effects, score, costumes, cinematography. I was like, oh my God, all at once, this is all happening. Yeah. And you are thrust into this world and the performances are great. We get a really early Nicole Kidman, and that came like right after the AMC intro. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sort of jealous that you saw it in AMC because that's a jarring but great experience having that back to back. Yes. Oh, I just, I love reciting it now. (laughs) I'm such a nerd. And then her in the beginning, she has this like weird accent and like funny line kind of. She like Uh yells at him for coming in not knocking she obviously has an incredible scene later on that just like threw me oh yeah oh my god that's so good but there is just so much happening but in the best way I totally agree that this is Eggers's easiest film to follow Mm -hmm. and he is following a story which maybe helps quite a bit my metaphor 
is that the lighthouse is to acid as the Northman is to shrooms, which mm-hmm. they also get into. Well, you know, I love a good movie with shrooms. Like I love <laughs> yes. that sounds worse than it does. That sounds like I'm like <laughs> taking shrooms when I'm watching all of these movies. But no, I love a shroom related plot. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, even Yellow Jackets. Oh, yeah. Obviously Phantom Thread, <laughs> but you know that total chaos is going to ensue. And it surely did in that scene as well. It was also so violent, and I didn't really know what to expect, I guess, because we have Uh the witch, which I'm not a huge fan of, and the lighthouse, which is beautiful, but, like, ends so bizarrely, and then Mm -hmm. I'm I'm like, okay, what is he trying to say? But with this, you kind of go in, and I'd heard about the Hamlet of it all, so you know where the story's going to go, and the trailer was pretty explicit with that as well, but holy crap. Yes, it's so violent. And I think an interesting change when we think about like the witch in the lighthouse to the Northmen and something that I didn't really consider until I was actually in the theater watching it is that the witch and the lighthouse are these really small scale films where you have like a very small cast. You're pretty much focused in on one area the entire movie. And here we get something that is incredibly epic on this massive scale and I was struck at first by like how easily I think he did this like you can definitely tell a lot went into the making of this but I almost feel like I prefer that for him like he's so he's so good at that now Mm -hmm. and I feel like the violence that you're mentioning whoa there were multiple times in my theater where I would just I let out like a little yelp or I would have to like (laughs) stifle whatever noise Mm -hmm. I was going to make watching this because it is brutal and I didn't mind that I actually enjoyed it I feel like it it fits perfectly with with what you know about this time period what you know about Vikings especially the part when they're playing that Viking rugby I'll Mm -hmm. call it oh my god and part of that is also just due to the sound these sounds are oh, so the mm-hmm. crunch and just the it feels like muddy and wet and gross and it's just perfect for that yeah. world and i feel like again you when you are watching an eggers film you know it's well researched you know he's a big nerd he's putting all of this work into it so you're like oh my god this is this has to be what it sounded like this has to be what it smelled like, what it felt like, all of that. You can just feel that. And I I love how visceral of an experience this movie was. Yeah, sports I can get behind. That was an incredible scene. (laughs) I not only like yelped at multiple moments, but I was just like laughing out loud also. Mm -hmm. I think when I was just so thrown aback from what was happening... Yeah, so I've actually seen that criticism of the movie, and I disagree with it, that people find this movie totally humorless, because I do think it takes itself seriously, but it does have its funny parts in it, for sure. And I think that also, Shakespeare, even in tragedies, there's inherent comedy in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, too, with the violence again, I wasn't sure if this movie wouldn't work on me because of how masculine it is. I thought like, okay, this is going to be some like another movie that's just this display of war and masculinity throughout history. But I wasn't at all. I actually, I found that there was a lot in there. There was actually a really unique commentary on heroism and masculinity throughout time that I found 
really interesting and something that I wasn't expecting. Like you have this character, this Prince Amleth. He spends his entire life, right, like plotting this revenge. He's like moving through these different roles in his life, Viking to disguising himself as a slave, all with this pursuit of revenge, right, like at the forefront. And I love the nihilism that's there. I love, you know, when he gets to the end or when you see certain things in the movie happening, certain acts of violence, there's this sense of, but why? Like, what is it all for? That's a really smart way to make this tale modern, to tap into that universality of it, to not say like, okay, here are just a bunch of Vikings fighting where I can hear all of the high school boys in the theater behind me going, sick, that's so sick. Man, like the whole movie, I was like, oh my God. It's not just that though. Like there is something deeper there. There is um, something to chew on philosophically, which is what Norse mythology does. So I think he not only got the details right, but he got that mood right um, of what these tales ultimately do teach us. And we won't spoil the ending. I'm not going to do that. But I just, I think that the lessons to be learned in the story are quite fascinating. Yeah, and there were so many beautiful images. I mean, from the shots of turning Amleth into this Jesus figure Mm -hmm. to just the nature itself. But yeah, this movie is more than just like a 300 battle Mm -hmm. epic. It, Mm -hmm. It has meaning, and I love the mythology, the Shakespeare to it. Something that's very period, but still very easy to consume. And maybe one of my favorite aspects was getting more unhinged Willem Dafoe. It's wild what he can do. And from those opening scenes where we meet the brother and then Amleth and his father are walking in like cubs, dogs, wolves, whatever you want to call it, howling, eating this soup. And then there's Willem Dafoe around the fire being this like Joker character. Mm -hmm. And it's just, oh my God. He's incredible. Yeah, I think we should talk about the performances. Willem Dafoe, I feel like, was perfectly suited for that role. Helmir the Fool. (laughs) Great name. I mean, he's basically embodying an animal in this movie as well. So he can absolutely go there. I loved Anya Taylor-Joy in this movie. I thought she was perfect. She is definitely his muse, Robert Eggers. And she understood the assignment, as they say, of being this person who can embody both of the worlds right the historical realism that we have but also this magic and this mythology that feels a little bit more of another world typically but in this film feels very much a part of the world that they're living in and she I thought she was perfect in that part I really really liked her Yeah, not only visually does she fit that like Nordic appearance that very blonde long hair But I actually did like her as well. Do I think we needed that like love story? Like I understand it. It did remind me of like a West Side Story, Tony Maria. (laughs) Like (laughs) Amleth is this like huge being compared to this like twig woman who he just is like towering over her the entire time. I was like, okay, now I get it. Yes. Your comments on why Tony has to be huge. I was like, okay, fine. (laughs) Now I'm picturing Alexander Skarsgård just like dancing around through the streets of New York. Uh, Wow. I will never get over that comparison to Tony and Maria. That's that's a special one. Um, 
Alexander Skarsgård, though, I mean, he is a beast. He is huge. When you see him and his, like, what are these muscles called? Your lats? Yeah. Yes, yes, your lats. I was like, is this a prosthetic? Or is that his real Who body? Who knows what workout he did. I think it had to have been real. That body was insane. It was insane. I mean, even that puts Robert Pattinson in the Batman to shame. And I thought that was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. No competition. I mean, he's just this like Nordic prince, like storming around. I was like, Jesus Christ, I I can watch two more hours of this. (laughs) (laughs) His body was absolutely insane. I think I would put it above Adam Driver and Annette. What do you mean you think you would? (laughs) No, I know I would. Just letting the listeners know that this is intense. Like this is this is a lot. <laughs> and I didn't even expect much from the brother, but later on, yeah, <laughs> when he reveals himself, Fjolnir, um, I was like, hold up, we got two now. <laughs> I also love the when he reveals himself. <laughs> Just wow. Um, yeah, this was special for many reasons. Yeah. He was very hot, too. We, we're going to have some trouble with our end-of-the-year hottest characters list. It's going to have to be expanded, <laughs> but they will definitely appear. That is for sure. He was also giving me, like, Brad Pitt and Troy vibes. Yes, definitely. Performance-wise, too. I mean, I could keep talking about Alexander Skarsgård's body, but we can, we can stick to a, a schedule here. <laughs> Nicole Kidman was great. She definitely, I think... You know, we'd come off an award season where talking about her performance was challenging in being the Ricardos, mm-hmm. I think. And here, I think she showed how much better she is when she's in roles like this, where she's allowed to really stretch herself and go into those weird spaces. Like she does in so many of her roles that often aren't recognized in the awards conversation. It's those dramatic roles. Yeah. Even though this is a supporting role, I love this light years above being the Ricardos (laughs) and I think she enjoys that too like you can see it in her performance Mm -hmm. there's a scene like after halfway where it's Amleth and her talking and she is revealing her inner self her inner rage and she goes for it exactly and Mm -hmm. I love seeing that I, I enjoyed the depth that she brought to the character Great wig, too. (laughs) So before we talk about Oscar stuff and technicals, everything like that, I want to recommend seeing this in a theater, see it on the biggest screen possible with a great sound system, because it really is a spectacle. I think it's it is the first movie of the year where I thought, like, you you should see this big because it is just that very immersive experience and it's fun to be a part of that world even if it is very bloody and gruesome i had a very interesting theater experience i think that you did too but Mm -hmm. always yeah the man next to me pulled out a pound bag of beef jerky and a tupperware of m&ms oh my god (laughs) and the tupperware of m&ms like they just, I mean, M&Ms move around. Like anytime you open that Tupperware or mm-hmm. move an inch, you hear those M&Ms. So having a good sound system in your movie theater is important. You can tune out <laughs> to everyone drown else out. too. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what's worse, that or someone eating from a bag of potato chips <laughs> and then crinkling the bag. 
You always get the potato chip people. (laughs) And then there was someone else, like, in the front two or three rows on his phone throughout. One, I just, I don't understand, especially in this movie that is so immersive and you have to, like, check your texts. I can't. The guy in my theater who was on his phone, he, like... He kept, like, kind of hiding his phone under a sweatshirt, thinking, like, no one would be able to see. But the light was so bright, it, like, shone through. Say, so you could still tell. The people tell. don't dim their phones. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, God. So do you think that this movie has any Oscar potential? You talked about the sound, the visual effects, the cinematography. What do you think? I mean, the big issue is the release time. It's mm-hmm. very early, and yes, we do get nominations sometimes for movies released in March, February, what have you. Mm -hmm. But I think it should. Yeah. I don't know if it's, you know, going to be this huge technical player, but I think it should get recognized in some categories. I love the sound speaking to the brutality of it, but I think it does well with nature, with the sound mixing, putting you in this world, whether it's on the water or it's in the forest or during these battle scenes that are incredibly detailed Mm -hmm. and they're large scale sets that again, work with the costume design, makeup and hairstyling, the cinematography. I was just like awe stricken one, the landscapes, the the naturalistic energy of everything, Mm -hmm. even at night times when we're turning to this like mythology Norse world, it turns into like a noir where he's visited by Bjork, this witch, and we're seeing a different side to this world. Realistically, I would like for it to get like one nomination at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking too. It's the release date makes it hard because it's like it came out in April. We have so many movies still to go, and it's really hard, I think, to build and sustain buzz when your movie comes out that early. But that being said, it completely deserves nominations and recognition. Sound for me is the biggest one. Then I would say also cinematography. Um, Jaron Blaschke has been nominated before for The Lighthouse. That was black and white. So I feel like that might be the reason why that was able to pull through. But I loved a lot of the shots in this movie. I also hope that production design has a chance. I think if we're thinking of guilds where like sci-fi fantasy come in i think that this could actually be classified there instead of period because of the fantastical elements that are in the movie but i just love that when you're watching this and you see a character sitting in a chair you can think of robert eggers and that team studying up you know that is like the exact type of chair that that person would have sat in and like the when you look at those giant boats that they're in that those are Mm -hmm. perfect um and completely period accurate and correct so I would love to see that recognition as well. Costume design. Yeah, it's it should be a major tech player. But again, it's so early. And when we don't know what else we have in the year ahead and what it'll look like, it's hard to say. And I feel like we probably won't be so lucky seeing this pop up in multiple categories, but we can hope. Mm-hmm. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would you give it? I I think I would give it production design, actually. Um, for Craig Lathrop, he's the production designer. I feel like everything that is built into this world, it was shot practically a lot of it. So you do have visual effects, but a lot of practical effects there. And just 
we talk when we talk about world building the production design is such a big part of that and we have very cool set pieces here it's incredibly detailed and i think part of the reason why we feel so connected to this world is because of the production design so i'll say that what about you i will say this is to me a better version of news of the world that had four oscar nominations that i would give here sound production design score and cinematography remember helena zengel no i don't (laughs) okay continue on (laughs) just that name Um, just like flashed in my brain when you said news of the world and i (laughs) of our very first oscar season that we covered we'll never forget it chaos those are the top four nominations that i would give this and i think from there i would give this sound i think production design a second but I agree about seeing this in a theater. I think the sound just totally goes there and it really helps you appreciate all the other aspects as well. So it's clear that we really love The Northman and would recommend it. Now it's time to share some other 2022 movies that we would recommend. You can go first. What is your first pick? My first pick is, no surprise, an A24 movie called Everything Everywhere All at Once. This has been getting so much buzz lately from last weekend to this weekend it dropped zero percent in box office crazy which for a sixth week small film like that's insane and that's incredible for a movie like this for a movie about the multiverse or multiverses i absolutely loved it (laughs) it's compared to marvel um (laughs) but i think it captures that world and that telling that sci-fi so much better It's done on a much more personal level Mm. and in a way that highlights this Chinese immigrant family and experience that I think so many audiences have been able to connect with. And that's part of why I love it so much. It's, again, like not this just mind-bending, epic idea. You know, it's taking something that's big and turning it into something you can relate to. It takes drama and thriller and feel good and comedy all of these different genres into this one movie and i think why i liked it so much is because it goes places that movies don't usually go to it features michelle yo someone who has deserved a movie like this for so so long and the way they capture her and have her with hot dog hands or even showing her alternate universe as a movie star as herself. There's so many cool nods to different movie styles or like Wong Kar Wai in relating all of that to this family, her daughter that wants to leave. Like their relationship is very troubled, partly because she has a girlfriend and the family's way of dealing with this is somewhat outdated. And maybe in certain ways, like you know how this movie might end up. I think the way it gets there, the way it resolves or talks about these family issues and the way it projects them into the different universes is just so outstanding. Very original. I love an original script, idea, anything. So that's why I'm recommending this. One thing I'll say about this too, I mean, some of my friends who never go to the movies at all texted me to say... Have you seen Everything Everywhere All at Once? Mm -hmm. I saw this and I loved it. It is definitely catching on. And what I think is really cool about the response to this movie is that 
audiences are going to see a movie where the protagonist is a woman over 50. Because I think oftentimes the only movies people go see are these Marvel movies or stories that people already know or IP or if it's like Ryan Reynolds or Channing Tatum or people like that at the center. But seeing that Michelle Yeoh is a box office draw, that's pretty cool. And I think it shows maybe things aren't as they seem necessarily when we're looking at the box office. Maybe there is room for something different. Yeah, I definitely recommend seeing this in theaters. And I think it really is for everybody. So what's your first pick? My first pick is a movie that I've been talking about for almost a year now. It is Koganada's After Yang, which is on Showtime, another A24 movie. And I know I've gone into this a bit on previous episodes. I know I talked about it in our Can episode and in our most anticipated of the year. But After Yang, I feel like, is my type of sci-fi like i don't need it to be some like grand big epic in space i like these futuristic meditative stories that connect to us in a really deep way i found this film very moving it's quite strange but it really gets at the core of humanity and it's a bit existential which i like the general gist is that We have this family who is living in the future, but it's not a distant future, per se. Like, things are still recognizable to us, but Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner-Smith, they play this couple, and they have a daughter, and one day, Yang, who is their... How would you describe him? He So they call him a techno, and he's part babysitter, but they bought him to teach Mika about her Chinese heritage. Yes. Yeah. So it's like a learning tool and like something they say throughout is like Chinese fun facts. And he he looks like a human, but he is an android. The movie opens with this incredible title sequence that is just, oh, it's the best. It is just (laughs) an amazing way to start this film. And then Yang just stops working. He malfunctions. Like all technology does and then the rest of the movie Colin Farrell's character Jake he tries to fix Yang and from there we learn all about Yang's memories and what his life meant to him and what he observed and it's just it's so beautiful I really love this film and I highly recommend it It, like I said it's quite meditative you have to listen to the repetitions that are there really let this movie wash over you and you you will feel it and i think it's a very rewarding beautiful viewing experience absolutely it's also free on showtime which i was like great i'm gonna watch this immediately and i'm so glad i did i koganata's previous movie columbus also has such a similar vibe it's so meditative it's mesmerizing it's calming slowly you just become one with these movies and that is such a unique experience and feeling Mm -hmm. that even if you leave maybe not fully understanding everything you feel the weight of what they're trying to say yeah i think of koganata's style as i think of it as similar to malik a little bit like the nature connection is very much there 
There is a spiritual quality to them, even if that isn't necessarily identified up front. Like you just, you feel it in that way. So I think if you like Malick, his movies are much bigger than Koganada's. I think this will be a good movie to watch. I'm so glad you liked it. Oh my God. I was like a little scared because it's slow, but I should have known mm-hmm. given how you like Tree of Life and other Malik. I was just going to say this is 1000% Tree of Life. Uh-huh. And maybe, I don't know what it is about these two movies that otherwise would probably bore me, but it's, I don't know, tackling humanity and memory and connecting like mortality with existence is Mm -hmm. it's very profound and it sounds a little lofty but the way they do it here is just so beautiful yeah and the idea I think you get this in both of those films but here and after Yang what's so present and what I really connected with was the idea that something that you may have forgotten or something that is meaningless or trivial to you is another person's greatest memory or something that they value. And when you learn that they value that, it becomes valuable to you again. And that, I think, is just like, it's such a beautiful, profound lesson about life. Yeah. The conversations that they have, the moments when Yang is talking about tea with Jake, a few moments with Mika, and the end line, it's not really a spoiler, it's part of a song, but it's, I want to be part of a memory. So mm-hmm. it, it comes full circle. It's definitely something that stays with you. I've been thinking about since I watched it. Yeah, I also recommend this. I like this God. pick. I'm so glad. So glad that you like it. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough. It's so beautiful. Well, my next pick is um, very different. A pivot. <laughs> a large pivot, a $750 million pivot. Um, and that is for Matt Reeves' The Batman my ways are varied and all-consuming. It's important. <laughs> it's important to contain multitudes. <laughs> so, like, comic book movies or these huge epics aren't usually my favorite, but I think what Matt Reeves does here, Reeves notably directed Cloverfield, Let Me In, the remake from Let the Right One In, and then a couple of the Planet of the Apes remakes that are also amazing so after seeing the batman and really liking this i'm like i have full faith in matt reeves now the batman 2 that was announced at CinemaCon, like we'll see about a sequel how i feel about that but i think what this movie is doing it it captures a different side to the batman that we know it's like a much grittier grimier version we have robert pattinson playing the lead role with Zoe Kravitz, who is just impeccable. If the Batman 2 is only about her, I would love that. But I think it benefits from its three-hour runtime. And I think people probably have issues with that, but something that after Yang is capturing in a very different way and much shorter with half the runtime of this is better captured in like a bigger blockbustery way here. We have Paul Dano in this like, disturbing role Mm -hmm. that he absolutely crushes but the themes the issues that he's bringing about his unhappiness and disappointments with humanity and the destruction that he causes makes it feel very big and for 
the vigilante, you know, Batman, what he does, having time to explore this and then kind of play detective along with him, I think works. How does this compare to the Nolan Batmans for you? Like the Dark Knight? Do you feel like this exists separately or do you feel like you have to compare them? And then if you compare them, which one do you prefer? (laughs) (laughs) I think in some way people have to compare them. It's just what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the Dark Knight is number one and this might be number two for me. I agree with that. And it has some of that Dark Knight Rises energy to it, but I think Mm -hmm. it's done in a more refined way. I think while I prefer The Dark Knight as a movie, I do think the Batman actually captures like the energy of the comics better than how Nolan does. I think also part of that is I think Christian Bale is a better Bruce Wayne and I think that Robert Pattinson might be a better Batman. <laughs> like I think that he gets he gets the Christian Bale gets the like yacht billionaire thing. Like I could mm-hmm. watch that for hours, but I think that Robert Pattinson he was a better Batman than I thought. I actually was surprised how much I liked this. And I didn't love it, love it. But that's just because it's my own fault that right now I get sad when I think about how to watch a noir film. Audiences have to have it as a comic book movie. Like, that's just my own stuff. It's not the movie's fault. That's just how I feel. I just take it personally. And that's a problem. But anyway... (laughs) I thought that Paul Dano was great in this. Like, he was such a good villain and reminded me of how much I loved him in There Will Be Blood, of course. I also think that Colin Farrell was really funny in this movie as well. And I did like the overall energy of it because I do think that that's what the Batman comics are. When I think of this particular story, I think that this movie captured it best since maybe like the Nicholson, Pfeiffer, Keaton days. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what the sequel brings. As far as comic book movies go, which everyone knows are hard for me, I did like this more than many of them, than any Marvel movie I saw I've seen in like five years, for sure. And I will note one sequence from the movie, the car chase scene, which absolutely blew me away as much as the title sequence from After Yang. The sound here, I think, should get nominated. I think it might. I think this could definitely be a technical player for the Oscars. The Michael Giacchino score? Yeah. I would love to see this come back. I liked the allusions to Seven. It reminded me of Seven when Mm. they go into the Riddler's apartment and just like when they're looking for him, all of that. It feels very much like a noir detective thriller instead of this just like big box comic book movie that Mm -hmm. doesn't do anything for me emotionally. Yeah. So what's your next pick? My next pick, we're going to slow it down a little bit here again. My pick is Celine Siama's latest film, Petite Maman, which is in theaters now. I think that Siama has such a way with capturing womanhood. She is so good at telling these emotional stories about women and you know she did this most recently with portrait of a lady on fire which we both really loved Um, but she's also Mm -hmm. done this with girlhood tomboy all of her films you know get at what does it mean to like be a woman be a girl and 
this story, I think it's just, it's so tender. It's so beautiful and it is deceptively complex. So generally what this movie is about, it's about a little girl named Nellie. She's only eight and she has just lost her grandmother and she's observing her parents go and pack up the grandmother's house. And this is something I think if you've experienced like death of a grandparent, this is an experience that you can remember. It's a strange experience to deal with grief as a child and not necessarily, I think, your own grief, but to see your parents process grief. And I think that that is something that this movie gets at. But also during this movie, Nellie, she goes out to play in the woods by the grandparents' house and she meets another girl who's her age and her name is Marion. Marion is also the name of her grandmother. So she starts like seeing all these little similarities between this little girl and herself. And it has this really beautiful, like ethereal quality to it. It sort of feels like a fairy tale and very childlike and tender, like I said. And the title translates to little mom or little mother, which kind of gives you a a hint to where the story is going. But it is just absolutely beautiful. I loved it. Yeah, I call it just like a warm hug of a movie because it deals with family and your past and who you are, who your family is, just so beautifully and kindly. Mm -hmm. It's also a very short movie, Mm -hmm. but I think it tells a very complete story in that time. I just realized both of my movies are very short. So if you're looking for a movie with a short runtime, like 90 minutes or less, like After Yang or Petite Maman are your movies. This is 70 minutes. Yeah. But you, it's all there. I don't, I didn't feel like anything was missing for me um, Mm -hmm. when I watched this. It was just, it's very warm, but you will cry also. I cried during both of my movies that I recommended. Did you cry during both of yours? (laughs) Um, I'm asking because it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for you to cry during those, I think. (laughs) No, but I was probably like breathless at times. Okay. Are there any other movies that you've watched this year, I think, besides the movies that we recommended that you thought were fun watches or that people should check out? I've really been watching mostly older films this year, but... Yay! That's so so good to hear. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) There aren't that many others, and even though The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent was on my most anticipated, I still haven't seen it. Um, The trailer was a little different than what I was expecting, so I will get to it. Like, bro, buddy comedy is not my, like, first choice, but it has been getting, like, mixed positive reviews, I think. But other movies I've seen, I mean, I saw Turning Red, which was, like, cute. Kind of a repeat to last year's early Pixar releases that we just like didn't super connect with, like older Pixar films. I guess like a more random movie that's not in theaters is The House. It's a stop motion animation film on Netflix. Oh. There are three stories and it's like about animals. It's really weird and kind of dark. So if you want something that's not like happy-go-lucky in Disney Pixar... I would recommend that. Like, I didn't give it five stars, but I think it is a fun watch. It makes you kind of crawl on your skin a little bit. 
I'll watch that. That sounds like something I might like. I've seen some strange movies this year. Have you seen Marry Me? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, God. We had mentioned that at one point. Yeah. I totally forgot that came out yeah. this year. Um, no matter how many times you see that trailer, nothing will prepare you for <laughs> the lack of chemistry between Owen Wilson and J-Lo. Absolutely nothing can prepare you. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not surprised. There's a moment when he's in the crowd and he's holding up the marry me sign. And it's the camera just starts to zoom in on him. He looks so caught off guard. I started cracking up and the whole theater did. (laughs) (laughs) And it is not supposed to be a funny moment. Oh my God. But if you, if you like JLo, if you have like a free hour and a half, it's on Peacock. Oh, okay. Is talk of an original song nomination out of the cards? It needs to happen. (laughs) (laughs) We have multiple songs in this movie that should be on the short list because it would be absolutely hilarious and they're very catchy. Okay. Hmm. I mean, they wouldn't be the worst songs ever nominated in the category, that's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Get Benifer back to the Oscars. Speaking of, (laughs) did you ever watch Deepwater? (laughs) No, I haven't yet. Ugh. It is not erotic and it is not thrilling. Um, but oh, we will no. talk about it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> did Anna, did Jacob, did Ben live up to the hype? Jacob is wearing too much clothing in the movie. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. The movie has a Sam Levinson problem. The movie looks like he found like an, an erotic thriller themed Mad Libs and filled it in and that was the script so yeah ben affleck was great though his performance i actually thought was very good he has this character down it's like Uh a b movie gone girl Mm -hmm. but you should definitely watch it i think we'll we'll talk about it later for sure that's our little tease yeah it's on my list for sure and the other movie i would tell you to watch is x which is a horror movie that i quite liked it's a good 70s throwback it taps into like porn and exploitation films. Britney Snow is fabulous in it. Mia Goth also great, and they're making a prequel, so it's good. we're gonna have another movie. But oh, wow. I recommend it. There are parts in it that are quite scary, and so we have some good jump scares, which are always fun. Scream Queen Jenny Ortega back. She and is mm-hmm. Ty West, who directed VHS, which I absolutely love. So I've just been bad at going to the theater but i really do want to see this or if you like vhs i think you'll like this my last movie i want to mention is michael bay's film ambulance which if after yang is a cup of tea ambulance is a four loco (laughs) (laughs) this movie made me sick (laughs) just oh my god what like the drone shots that you have just like oh my god no it's absurd. It's a ride. I think you should see it. Did you like it, though? I did. <laughs> oh, God. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm lying a little bit to you, but you should definitely see it. Jake Gyllenhaal, Yaya Abdul-Mateen. They're fun to watch. It's a lot. Um, but it is my favorite Michael Bay movie since Transformers, for sure. I was going to say, we. Um, I don't know if I'll make you watch the only nominated michael bay film or not but we'll see soon oh my god 
that was a jump scare just now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I do recommend Ambulance. It was a time. It really was. It's too long, but there's nothing like it. Well, a lot of movies in theaters. (laughs) Go see something. Some of our recommendations, which are still in theaters now. And... You may not catch me in the theater for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coming next week, but I am looking forward now that it's May. June is here, summer movies, and all of those, again, new releases coming. Um, We got the news about Oppenheimer and Barbie coming on the same day, Mm -hmm. which I'm very excited about. So lots to come and lots to cover. Yeah, and we won't be covering Doctor Strange next week. We will be going back in time to 1941. We'll be doing another Oscar Rewind, and we'll be talking about the Best Picture winner, How Green Was My Valley, which was directed by John Ford, who won four Best Director Oscars. Absolutely the most nuts. ever. Yeah. yeah, crazy. And then we'll also be talking about some classics like Citizen Kane and The Maltese Falcon. I can't wait to talk about both of those. Those are rich jewels in cinematic history. We'll also be talking about Suspicion, which is a Hitchcock movie where Joan Fontaine won Best Actress. Have a lot of thoughts about that. Hmm. And we'll be talking about The Little Foxes, which is a William Wyler movie. And we covered Wyler on an episode last year. So go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. Probably by the time this podcast ends, we'll have covered every Wyler movie. So I'm excited to revisit him. (laughs) I'm curious if you'll like this, like where this will fit in your Wyler ranking. Mm -hmm. We talked about Mrs. Miniver, The Best Years of Our Lives, Ben-Hur. And we talked about Detective Story on another episode when we did the 51 Director Rewind. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious where it'll fit in there for you. Yeah, and our favorite Teresa Wright is back, so I'm excited yes, to experience her. <laughs> and Betty Davis, of course, which we have not talked yes. about a Betty Davis movie yet in the history of our podcast. I don't know how that's happened. I don't but either. Also another to come very soon. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. Oh, yes. Very soon. I can't wait for that episode. And of course, if you like our show, please rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Wilde Pod. We have a lot of exciting stuff coming, especially this summer, so stay tuned. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.